This episode is brought to you in part by The Table Podcast from the Hendricks Center at Dallas Theological Seminary. I'm Daryl Bach, one of the hosts, and I invite you to join us as we discuss issues of God and culture, which includes anything and everything. Listen on your podcast app or at dts.edu slash the table. You've got people that, that come, and rather than staying on the border, and we would say this is a good thing, they're being absorbed into these 27 countries. Um, there's a large diaspora of Ukrainians, so they've got networks, they've got friends, communities are going together. They're showing up in train stations and there's people there with signs saying like, I've got room in this town for five people. This is a podcast about two things, helping those with urgent needs in front of us today and improving the road so others can walk it safely in the future. Welcome to The Better Samaritan, where we're learning how to do good better, whether in everyday interactions or complex humanitarian challenges like what's happening in Ukraine right now. I'm Kent Annan, co-director of the Humanitarian Disaster Institute at Wheaton College. I'm joined by my colleagues, Jamie Aiton normally, and today just with our producer who will be in the conversation as well, Laura Finch. We're going to be talking with Roger Sandberg. Roger is vice president of field operations for Medical Teams International and he's also an adjunct professor in our MA in Humanitarian and Disaster Leadership Program here at Wheaton College. And several days ago, he arrived near the border of Ukraine to help lead his organization's response to the refugee crisis there. So, Roger, thank you for joining us. So grateful that you're here. Absolutely, Kent. Thank you for having me. So to start, let's just locate, help us to understand where are you right now? Yep. So over in Eastern Europe, because of the Ukraine crisis uh, and currently in, in uh, a neighboring country to Ukraine in Romania and in the capital city of Bucharest. OK. And tell us, like, what, you know, what is housing like there in Bucharest now? Are there refugees coming into Romania? Just And we'll go, go out to the broader questions, but really interested in kind of where you're actually staying right now and what you're seeing around you. Yeah, we're in day 13 of this uh, new conflict in Ukraine. Uh, just as a reminder, uh, really this started in 2014 when uh, Russia went into uh, part of Ukraine, uh, Crimea. Uh, but then on February 24th is when uh, recently Russia uh, invaded eastern and central Ukraine and uh, kicked off this conflict. Um, and what happened almost immediately was a displacement of people uh, fleeing war, uh, fleeing the fear of war. Um, and we have never seen the scale and the speed of displacement as we have um, in just 13 days, shy of two weeks. Over 2 million refugees have fled to the bordering countries of Poland, of Slovakia, Hungary, Romania, and Moldova. Um, I uh, started in Poland and came to Romania and am heading tomorrow to Moldova. But every day we are seeing more refugees coming into the country. Uh, when we first checked into the hotel in Bucharest, um, there were rooms available. Uh, we were able to get rooms. Um, and today uh, we were checking to see, you know, how fast is it filling up? And they said uh, that they have just now sold out of rooms. It's one of the reasons why we're going to move on, make sure that we're giving space to those that need. 
Mm -hmm. uh, accommodation and it is growing by the moment. So Roger, you're there with Medical Teams International and what are the gaps that you're seeking to fill in a situation like this? Can you describe your assessment process when you first arrive? Yes, Medical Teams uh, has a a health humanitarian focus um, and so um, anytime there's displacement, we expect there to be health concerns. Uh, people have fled. Maybe they no longer have access to their medicines. Maybe they were sick when they fled. Uh, maybe uh, that some women are pregnant and mm, yeah. uh, need some prenatal care. Um, so we, we uh, plan on providing primary health care services. And we were in talks with a partner, Government of Poland, early on, uh, again, <laughs> about uh, seven or eight days ago, asked for a primary health care clinic to be stood up on the border. We were approached. We said, yes, we can do that. Mm. So I came, wow. went to Poland, and that was the plan. But this um, uh, conflict and the response has been so dynamic that uh, there's no longer a plan to, to have refugees stay on the border. They're actually being moved all throughout the European Union, all 27 members wow. taking and absorbing the refugees coming across so that's why we, we're no longer in Poland. And what's happening in Moldova is long lines of people getting in. It's closer to some of the conflict. There's supposed to be more conflict in kind of that southern area uh, of Ukraine. And so there are more sick and injured coming into Moldova. And Moldova is one of the countries that borders that's not part of the European Union. So they don't get the, the same level of support and infrastructure um, and the benefit of being a European Union member state. Talk about that a little bit more. How Last time we talked with you for the Better Samaritan, Roger, uh, you were in Ethiopia responding to the Tigray situation. So you mentioned Moldova doesn't have that. In another sense, this is unique. It's unique in so many ways. One is, as you said, 2 million people so fast moving yeah. out. The other is that it is next to Europe that you know has countries with more resources, able to move them through with without the same kind of borders uh, once they're in the European Union. To tell us a little bit, as you've worked, done this kind of work for many years, you know, what are you say, seeing that's the same and what are you seeing that's mm -hmm. different? Yeah, um, th the same is uh, pretty amazing, right? Um, it, it's seeing uh, the best of uh, people, it's seeing the worst of people. Uh, anytime there's conflict, uh, I've seen and um, been exposed to, to both of those things. So I think we are seeing and hearing on the news the atrocities, the, the fear, the, the pain, the suffering, the death that's happening. That's the worst that, that we see in all conflicts. And then we see the best. We see people rising up um, and uh, loving one another, reaching out to one another, uh, being the Samaritan towards one another, uh, people opening up uh, that themselves, their space, uh, whatever they might have, see that time and time again. And, and I'm seeing that here, um, seeing the humanity of it, the, the human needs, uh, but then uh, the compassion as well. The difference. Um, so, you know, having worked in, in Ethiopia, as you mentioned, and any of the uh, big emergencies that where there's conflict, Yemen, South Sudan, uh, Democratic Republic of Congo, the difference is in a lot of those settings, the conflict is internal. 
Um, it might be differing uh, political factions. It might be different tribes, different people's group, but it's usually within. Uh, and sometimes it overspills the, the borders. The difference with this one was you had the sovereign nation, the sovereign country recognized by the world, by the United Nations right. of Ukraine. And we saw this coming. We saw the buildup on the border and you had President Zelensky saying, we do not want war. We are not being aggressors. We are fearful that war is coming to us. We do not want to fight. We will defend if it comes to that, but we are asking for there not to be war. And hours after him stating that, the, the sovereign nation of Ukraine is invaded by a much larger power, by a nuclear uh, power um, that comes in and um, is willing to show really no restraint. And so that's one of the big differences. I think that's what has caught the, the world's attention is kind of like, wait, this was not internal to it. A, a lot of times other conflicts become so complex and it's trying to understand what are the differences and, and whatnot. This one is very complex still, but at the same time, there's a simplicity of like, wait, there was this nation that said, we don't want to fight, we don't want war. And then they were invaded by their neighbor and it's like, yes, that is what has happened. So I think that's a huge difference. The other one is um, social media is prevalent everywhere in the world and everywhere we work, but at a whole nother level within Europe. And so for the first time, most of the world is watching, listening and hearing this war unfold on all fronts. And it's just around the clock. So it's all real time information and data that's happening. I was thinking about that with um, like... I think I was in college revealing my age when the Iraq invasion happened and watching that. And so you could watch it live on CNN, but it was live from like a rooftop, you know, uh, bombs exploding yep. and things. And now it's like the president doing a selfie video and it's the, yeah. that, that family down the street, you know, like, like yep. within moments we see, you know, their, their bodies on the street. Like there's a, there's a live, it's live and intimate now, you know, which is yeah. just live, uh, intimate, raw, yeah. real. Yeah. yeah. It's not polished. It's not just a yeah. kind of that production value. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, go ahead and go ahead, Laura. Um, I, so just to follow up on that, um, you know, since the, the EU has such a welcoming policy, I'm, I'm trying to picture what that will look like to resettle so many people um, hopefully quickly and, and hopefully they can go back to their homes quickly too. But um, I'm imagining that's going to be staying in a lot more homes, you know, less of the refugee camps and more of um, volunteers stepping up. Like we've already seen, frankly, in, in Poland and other places um, to house people. Do you think that's right? Yeah, it's, it's really been incredible. So just kind of the, the quick, the United, the, the European Union is comprised of 27 member states, 27 countries make up the European Union. And what the European Union did and said um, a couple days into this conflict was two things. First, they said any Ukrainian that has a Ukrainian identification papers, license, uh, passport, um, they don't have to seek asylum when they cross into the European Union. They are wow. uh, granted automatically three-year uh, residency permits. The second thing they said is they can travel for free 
anywhere in the EU by train, by railroad. So what that meant was you didn't, you weren't going to have this buildup that we were all expecting right on the border of like, okay, people are kind of being held until asylum papers are processed, until there's a match, until there can be a resettlement. What happened instead is buses, buses are at the border. Ukrainians come across the border. They're processed. They're counted by the United Nations High Commission of Refugees. Um, they're usually given SIM cards for their phones to be working in at whatever border they're working. They're given food. And this is a lot of, yes, government, but mainly being driven by individuals, by civil society. The church is stepping up in a huge way. The church is very alive in this. But what's to answer your question is, so now... You've got people that that come and rather than staying on the border, and we would say this is a mm-hmm. good thing, they're being absorbed into these 27 countries. Yeah. Um, there's a large diaspora of Ukrainians. So they've got networks, they've got friends, communities are going together. They're showing up in train stations and there's people there with signs saying like, I've got room in this town for five people. And, and people are like, sorry. It's amazing. It's amazing. They're, they're opening up not just their hearts, but their homes. They're giving rides. They're, they're bringing all this. Now, to get to, to what you're asking, Laura, was th- they're doing this, and this is 2 million people. The concern yeah. and the fear is what is the saturation then? Yeah. You know, like that's amazing. We applaud it. It should keep going. We want it to keep going. We don't want to create refugee camps. But how, how much can Europe absorb? If we recall back in 2015, um, the Syria crisis was driving this huge migration flow of refugees and migrants into Europe, into Greece, through the Baltic states. And it became this European crisis, migration crisis. The peak of that was 1.3 million people. We're already at 2 million people in 13 days. So the concern that uh, a lot of um, uh, countries in the EU is going to start to have is um, around the saturation. At what point can they, will it just be saying like, okay, there's not enough room and there's not enough space. Uh, Ukraine is a country of 44 million, uh, now 42 million. Uh, how many more are going to leave? And we think it's going to be a lot more. The, the needs in Ukraine are growing by the day. There are whole cities under siege where people can't leave. There are so many more people who want to flee. Um, again, no one chooses to be a refugee. No one wants to be a refugee. But the, the option to stay in some of these cities is just horrendous. And people are wanting to get out. As you just mentioned that, Roger, this is a slight step away. But some people might be seeing this phrase and not be familiar with it um, who are listening. Could you explain what a humanitarian corridor is? We actually talked about this in Tigray last time we talked. And... You know, it's something that there have been negotiations and it seems like they're often falling through right now. Can you explain what a humanitarian corridor is and why it's important in a situation like this, both for exiting as, you know, for people coming out and for for supplies going in? Humanitarian corridor, uh, one easy way to think about it is a, is a road. And it's not always a road, but it's a, a good analogy. It's, it's saying, OK, Um, we're still fighting. There's still a war going on. There's still conflict. Uh, There's still active bombardment and engagement. However, on this road, from this time to this time, we are agreeing that no one will bomb, no one will fly over, no one will shoot. Uh, There will be no hostilities on this road from 
you know, mile marker one to mile marker 100 for these eight hours. And that humanitarian corridor is saying, if you need to leave, if you are ready to leave, if you feel unsafe to stay, you can leave as long as you stay on that corridor during those observed hours and you should not be harmed. Um, that can create an exodus that can say like, okay, we stayed. We didn't think the war was coming to our city. We made a mistake. We should have left. Now's our chance to, to get out. Um, it can also be, okay, now supplies can come in, not rearming, not, not new weapons, but humanitarian supplies, medicine, those who are wounded, can they get, can they get the supplies to, to be healed? Uh, food, if a city has been under siege, can food come in so that, that people can um, eat? It's supposed to be for the civilian populations. Um, and so there's rules around this. It's a fairly simple concept. Like, is there safe passage for civilians to get out and for material to get to civilians in need? Um, what has happened uh, for four times now is when there is thought that there is agreement that almost immediately bombing starts. So you can imagine the trauma of a civilian who goes, we have a chance. There's a small window. We're going to get out only to get bombed, only to hear reports of it is not safe. And then the next day to be told, okay, now it's safe. And to realize, no, it's not. Four times that's happened. Um, and and the, the trauma and people aren't being able to get out. So that's why humanitarian corridors exist. That's why they're supposed to be respected, but we're not seeing that in this conflict. Hmm. So as people watch this here in the U.S., Roger, what is the best way for them to help from afar? Yeah, it's a a really good question that so many people have asked. Um, First, I'll I'll give an anecdote of being here, being in uh, a neighboring country. when I've met with um, different Ukrainians that have fled, when I meet with Romanians that are here, um, always, even I've not provided anything to, to, to the people that I'm talking with. They just say, when they hear that I'm from America, they say, thank you. They feel a solidarity. They feel a compassion. They feel there's a, a, a global concern and that's going far for people. So, do the Ukrainians care if America knows and is concerned? Absolutely. How about the, the receiving countries? Yes, they want to know that we are united. And I think there is a sense and a feeling and kind of a surprise that there is this overwhelming unity around this. So I think that's extremely important for us all to realize. What we've done is a simple practice in our house. We have found Photos from uh, usually the the front of a newspaper, they're not of combatants, they're not of death and destruction, but they are of these refugees at borders. Um, And um, we have children. Um, It allows us to be able to see the faces of those affected and for us to look at those faces and for us to realize like, wow, this is affecting women. This is affecting children. These are families. This could be us. This could be our neighbor. This could be anyone. Uh, we do this for all conflicts, not just for, for this one. It's to really bring it home, bring it into the, the kitchen, into the living room. It allows for conversations. It's making sure that we are aware of what's going around the world, even if we're feeling uh, that we are removed or it's not impactful. Uh, we spend time learning about the culture of Ukraine. Um, studying who has, um, who, who are some people that we 
um, have studied in history that are from Ukraine, uh, studying about the culture. It allows for conversation, awareness, um, and then honestly, the the prayer uh, to just be more informed of who are you praying for and why are you praying for them and what are you praying for. Um, we uh, found a Ukrainian Bible church in the Portland area. We live in Portland, Oregon. And so we went uh, on day two or three to their church service, uh, prayed with them, worshiped with them, the solidarity of that. And the, the Ukraine uh, diaspora is, is huge. They're very welcoming. The solidarity of like, so, so people can look up, you know, where is the Ukrainian church in their area? Um, and, and just showing up. Uh, you don't have to uh, know what to say or what to ask. Just just being there um, does so much. That's great advice, Roger. Like yeah. showing that solidarity of yeah. praying, of growing our empathy, um, being connected is all. Yeah, the the right things to do in these moments. Um, I'm going to ask you one silly question because all this is heavy, and then we'll finish up with one last serious question. Then we'll we'll conclude. But <laughs> silly question, since we talked with you in Tigray last time and here this time do you keep a duffel bag on the ready uh <laughs> pre-packed how do you how do you uh, just thinking there are some people listening who do this work but others who want to do this work how do you just get yeah. ready to go on a trip like this on a practical level and then we'll wrap up I'll ask you a serious question to wrap up uh it's not a silly question actually in the past I I have had a uh a packed duffel bag a go bag um that that is and it, I used to leave it at my office and you know the, the family doesn't necessarily want to see that you're always ready to grab a bag and go <laughs> oh, yeah. so it stayed at the office I don't have that anymore but because I've been involved in doing this work for over 20 years um, I kind of know what I need um, and, and have it at hand um, and, and can deploy uh, really in a, a, a moment's notice. Um, so uh, not a silly question. Uh, it, it helps when you've done it so many times. You've got kind of the muscle memory of uh, how this works and what you need and how to do it. Uh, a, a quick, a funny uh, trick of the trade is uh, something that I do is actually um, we'll run by Barnes & Noble. Usually I don't even have time for an Amazon order. So I'll run to our local Barnes & Noble and I'll pick up a travel guide for the countries that I'm going yeah, to. Yeah. Uh, and that's some of the airplane yeah. reading. And it's what's the currency? What's some of the culture? Okay, here's here's some information about the city. Um, and, and it actually has helped. We're trying to get into Moldova. Uh, the airspace has been closed over Moldova. You can no longer fly into Moldova. So we're going to have to drive. So I actually found a tour agency that does tours from Romania to Moldova, and I contacted them today and just said, I'm not looking for a tour, but I am looking for a car and driver that can be hired, that can navigate the border, that can help us sort out accommodation. And I said, oh, absolutely, we can do that. And that was all just from a travel guide. <laughs> nice. Well done. Well done. Well done. Um, last question, I just wonder, is there you know, a conversation you've had or something you've seen kind of with Ukrainians thinking of like as, as people are facing this, you know, that especially struck you like as especially got through your heart. I was thinking for me, it's been a couple of these, like watching the dad say goodbye to their daughters. I have a daughter, you have kids, yeah. you know, and, but I'm, yeah. I'm at a distance. So watching those are the, the ones that, you know, sometimes, you know, I, I'm watching what's happening and then that's like what pierces through, to the heart, the dads are staying to fight. They're saying goodbye to their their kids. 
Um, but for you, as you've been there, could you share like one moment or one conversation or one scene you've seen that, you know, sums out, sums up in a sense why you and why we should be part of, of responding to this? Yeah, I'll share two. They're short. Mm -hmm. The first one is really in our hotel lobby. Um, every, uh, the, I've only been here two days, but for the past two days, um, I've conducted a lot of my, my meetings in the lobby and I've connected with a lot of different people. Um, but it's just this reminder of the need. The lobby is full of young mothers and young children and no men whatsoever. And so, and most of them are trying to figure out where they're going and what they're doing. And the kids are just running around. Uh, it's fun. Uh, the kids are playing tag. They're, they're entertaining themselves. They're being kids. Um, and so you see that, that life and vibrancy, but all you have to do is look at the face of the mothers. And there's this um, look of hopelessness, of despair, and of just kind of confusion and bewilderment. Uh, this all happened so quickly, and now they're at this hotel in Bucharest kind of going like, well, this isn't a long-term plan. Like, what are we going to do? Where are we going to go? Um, and I think that will, will always stick with me. The other vignette was talking to a Romanian, and I said uh, to her, I said, this is amazing to see Romanians like showing up for their neighbor, uh, opening up their hearts, opening up their homes, stuff I've already talked about. And she said, yes, she goes, we, we, we are empathetic and compassionate people and we do love our Ukrainian neighbor. She goes, but we do have an ulterior motive, too. And I said, well, that that's interesting. Um, would you mind telling me what that, that other motive is? And she said, Roger, we are scared that if Russia did this to Ukraine, that they could also do this to us. And so we're trying to help. We're trying to bring attention because we're fearful that this could happen to us as well. And I just hadn't thought that, wait, these other neighboring countries could are, are, are fearful of that. And it totally makes sense. So that, that was the other one that has really uh, stuck with me, that even those that are open, that are being receptive, that are being the hands and feet of Christ, they too are very scared. That is so powerful. And I, I just want to point out, we're actually recording this on International Women's Day. So yeah. um, mm -hmm. I will definitely be thinking of and praying for the Ukrainian mother mm -hmm. right now. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. No, it, it was uh, poignant here in Romania. They celebrate Mother's Day and International Women's Day. So oh. be with oh, yeah. these women. Uh, on this uh, special day where their strength and their resiliency and courage is celebrated and then to see how much they carry. Um, it was a amazing but very heavy day as well. Roger, thank you for joining us. And more importantly, thank you for, for being there, helping to respond on behalf of many of us um, in the church and in our country uh, during this crisis in Ukraine and in all the countries surrounding Ukraine. So thanks for being with us, Roger. Thank you, Kent. And thank you, Laura. Thank you for joining us for this conversation. I'm really grateful that Roger is there and grateful he took the time to talk with us about what's happening. And like we say in the intro, in a complex humanitarian crisis, like what's happening in Ukraine and all around Ukraine right now. Uh, grateful for this chance to to walk alongside with you uh, as we seek to do good better.
Learn more about the Humanitarian Disaster Institute at Wheaton College, including our graduate degree and trauma certificate at the link in our show notes. You can attend the program online or in person and stay in touch. You can email us at producer at bettersamaritan.com. Thanks so much for bringing us along on your journey as we all endeavor to do good better.